Hello, my name is Jörg Polakiewicz. Uh, I'm the legal advisor of the Council of Europe, or more precisely, my title is Director of Legal Advice and Public International Law. I was, uh, I joined the Council of Europe in 1993 and I was appointed to my current position in 2013. And uh, I would like to talk to you about uh, the presentation of the Council of Europe, its objectives and activities. In the course of this lecture, I would like to deal with uh, five uh, parts. First, uh, give a very short historical background, uh, how the Council of Europe was uh, funded and uh, set up, then the aim, remit and instruments, and in the third part with the structure and decision-making process in the Council, fourth part about the main achievements uh, of our work, and then in the last part give an outlook also about the the current role and also perspectives, the role of the Council of Europe in the architecture of European organizations, and in particular its relationship with the European Union. Um, so to start the first part, the historical background, uh, the Council of Europe was in fact the first European political organization founded in 1949 with a view to achieving closer unity among its members. And uh, the idea of European unity, of course, was even born and had been propagated by philosophers and statements in several countries even before the Second World War. But it was the catastrophe of World War II um, with its uh, where, in fact, European people, the peoples of Europe, were victims of suffering and unprecedented human rights violations, which prompted European politicians to act after the war and to uh, start thinking about setting up an international organization. As early as 1930, and most prominently in a speech in Zurich in 1946, Sir Winston Churchill used the term United States of Europe and at the same, roughly the same time in his speech to the House of Commons in January 1948, uh, the then British Foreign Secretary Ernest Bevan declared that British foreign policy now pursued the aim of creating a Western European spiritual union based on respect for human rights. And of course the background was also the endeavor of the Union of Social, Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR at the time, to force occupied Eastern and Central European countries into a military, economic and political alliance. The movement for European unity then gathered momentum with the Hague Congress, held in The Hague in May 1948, which was attended by some 660 delegates including 20 prime ministers and former prime ministers. And this Congress called for a united Europe, permitting the free movement of persons, ideas and goods, a charter of human rights and a court of justice and a European assembly. These proposals were taken up by the foreign ministers of the five Brussels treaty powers, France, the United Kingdom, the Benelux countries, and they were joined by Ireland, Italy, Denmark, Norway and Sweden and 10 
European countries, in fact, signed the Statute of the Council of Europe in London on 5 May 1949. This uh, statute foresees, uh, which has also remained, at least in its most substantial provisions, more or less unchanged since that moment, foresees an organization firmly based on the principles of democracy, human rights and the rule of law. It, uh, the seat of the Council of Europe is in Strasbourg. This was seen as a fitting because the capital of a region which had, a long, which had long been Alsace, the bone of contention between France and Germany. And it should become, the idea was that it should become the symbol of a new European unity. The uh, enlargement then, after the fall of the wall in 1989, the Council of Europe rather rapidly enlarged towards Eastern and Central Europe. And uh, the work of the Council gained a fresh political impetus at the highest political level through summit meetings of heads of state and government. At summits in 1993 in Vienna, 1997 in Strasbourg and 2005 in Warsaw, the member states redefined the role of the councils and its priorities in the United Europe, focusing on its core values, human rights, democracy and the rule of law. Today, the membership of the organization encompasses practically all European countries, the only exceptions being Belarus and uh, of and also Kosovo, which for the time being are not members of this organization. The, uh, the Holy See has been associated since 1970 as an observer uh, to the Council and then later on the United States of America, Canada, Japan, all in, in 1996 and then Mexico in 1999, enjoy observer status with the Council on the basis of a Committee of Ministers resolution. The member states uh, which uh, no, respect for democracy, the rule of law, as well as human rights and fundamental freedoms are prerequisites for membership. Compliance with these principles is a subject of scrutiny by the Parliamentary Assembly prior to admission as a member. And also member states uh, that are in the organization which seriously violate these principles may be suspended or expelled. Uh, the, the applicable provision is Article 8 in the statute. This provision was in fact about to be applied to Greece in December 1969 when following the dictatorship in Greece uh, and a procedure to exclude the country has that been initiated. But just before the Committee of Ministers could actually expel, exclude Greece, the Greek foreign minister announced the decision of his government to withdraw from the Council of Europe. Greece subsequently rejoined the organization in 1974 after democracy had been restored. And this has so far been the only case <clears throat> where this uh, provision had been applied. The, uh, now come to the aim, uh, remit and instruments of the Council of Europe. The statute defines the aim of the Council as achieving greater unity between its members 
for the purpose of safeguarding and realizing the ideals and principles which are their common heritage and facilitating their economic and social progress. The statute as such hardly limits uh, the scope of possible activities of the Council. The only area which was in 1949 specifically excluded are questions of national defense. And this was, of course, due because more or less at the same time the North Atlantic Treaty Organization had been set up uh, just a month before the Council of Europe statute. The main results of the work of the Council of Europe are conventions and agreements on the one hand and recommendations to governments on the other. Conventions and agreements are multilateral international treaties which derive their legal force from the signature and ratification by the member states that wish to become parties. Their elaboration and adoption by the Council of Europe does not as such create an obligation of member states to sign and ratify them. It, uh, in this sense, the Council of Europe embodies uh, Europe à la carte. And in fact, there are very few conventions that have been ratified by all currently 47 member states. Um, the, there have been certain attempts uh, at some point the Parliamentary Assembly but also the Committee of Ministers uh, through a convention review had tried to sort of uh, try to identify core conventions. Um, but as I said, until now there are very few conventions that are ratified by all. This is in particular the case for the European Convention on Human Rights, the uh, anti-torture convention, um, but altogether more than 200 international treaties have been prepared under the auspices of the Council of Europe. And in fact, this is also a very powerful legal tool when you think about it, that the convention which is in force for all 47 member states practically uh, substitutes uh, 1,081 bilateral treaties. Uh, this, of course, in this area, for example, of extradition and uh, mutual assistance in criminal matters, Council of Europe conventions that are ratified by all member states practically are equivalent to 1,081 bilateral treaties. Moreover, most of the conventions are not uh, limited uh, to Europe, but they explicitly foresee that non-member states, even outside Europe, uh, can become parties. And this practice has increased, in particular in recent years. In most cases, of course, uh, non-member states seeking to accede to Council of Europe Convention require an invitation by the Committee of Ministers. The other Main legal instruments are recommendations, or in the past were sometimes called resolutions, which are soft law instruments. They are important reference uh, source for national legislators and administrative authorities. They are as such, of course, as their name indicates, they are as such not legally binding. Nevertheless, as an expression of the collective political will of the community of European states, they sometimes uh, are, have sometimes even have had more impact than some conventions which have been ratified by only a few member states. 
For example, the European prison rules, uh, they were adopted in the form of a recommendation, but have had quite an important impact on prison conditions and prison policy in an almost all European countries. Sometimes they can also be a precursor for a convention, a kind of testing ground that the Committee of Ministers first adopts a soft law instrument. For example, in the area of cyber, um, of, um, of cyber crime, uh, where first recommendations have been adopted and then at a certain point uh, the decision was taken to adopt the binding convention, the now quite well-known Budapest Convention on Cybercrime, which is even a worldwide standard because so far the United Nations do not have an equivalent instrument. The um, recommendations are usually adopted by unanimity. In fact, the statute refers to unanimous decision. However, following the enlargement of the Council in 1994, it was decided to make this voting procedure more flexible and under a gentleman's agreement the unanimity rule is no longer applied but uh, recommendations are considered to be adopted once the two-thirds majority uh, of member states has been attained. The Council of Europe also adopts other instruments which are not explicitly mentioned in the statute like declarations, action plans or guidelines. Um, declarations are usually containing rules and principles sometimes drawn directly from internationally binding instruments and sometimes also developing the law. So they are a bit of a hybrid instrument. Some of these declarations have become also quite important reference points like the guidelines of the Committee of Ministers on Human Rights and the fight against terrorism. In addition to its normative work, the Council of Europe monitors also the implementation of its standards. I will come to this in a, another part more, with more examples. And also increasingly in the recent years has developed its cooperation activities, both on a bilateral and multilateral uh, basis. The, uh, then the, the resources in 2017 together the sort of the budget of the Council of Europe, the total budget amounted to some 260 million euro. This is the ordinary budget. In addition you have certain activities which are carried out only by a limited number of member states under a, what we call partial agreement. So uh, you have also, in addition to um, the ordinary budget, you have certain partial agreements which uh, carry out, which are only, which have their own budget, which is separate from the ordinary budget. For example, the Venice Commission or the uh, film, the fund uh, that supports European co-production of cinema movies, Eurimage, these are examples, or the Council of Europe Development Bank, they are all partial agreements with a separate budget. I come to the third part, uh, the, um, the structure and decision-making. The statute, which as I recall to the beginning, was uh, signed in 1949, 
today only faintly reflects the rea reality of the organization's rather complex structure and decision-making. Still, the two main organs are those mentioned in Article 10, the Committee of Ministers on the one hand, and the Parliamentary Assembly, which at the time was called the Consultative Assembly, are the two main organs. But many other bodies and and uh, yeah, bodies have been created, and also the voting procedures have been amended several times. The uh, since it proved very difficult to formally amend the statute, the technique that was used in most cases is uh, the adoption of resolutions of a statutory character. And these resolutions, they complement the statute without formally amending it. So normally they are, of course, limited to rules that, yeah, that complement without amending the statute. The, the statutory resolution was first used in 1951 for uh, resolutions on the admission of new members and precisely partial and enlarged agreements. But you have also now statutory resolutions on observer status, on majorities required for decisions of the Committee of Ministers, or the Congress, for example, of local and regional authorities of Europe was set up which is not foreseen in the statute, but is now seen as a, another organ of the Council of Europe that was set up by a statutory resolution. The Committee of Ministers um, is the central decision-making organ. All governments are represented. Uh, they are all 47 governments are represented also according to the rule one member, one vote. The uh, Committee of Ministers basically decides on the budget, on the action of the Council of Europe. Uh, it has to authorize the not only the elaboration of new recommendations, but also new conventions. And it is also an important function in the supervision of the execution of judgment by the European Courts of Human Rights. According to the statute, the representatives on the Committee of Ministers are the Ministers of Foreign Affairs. In practice, the foreign ministers meet only once a year, usually in May, and are replaced uh, during the rest of the year by the permanent representatives, usually ambassadors resident in Strasbourg. At this level, as ministers' deputies, the uh, ambassadors meet almost on a weekly basis exercising the function and powers of the Committee of Ministers and thereby ensuring the continuity of intergovernmental work. The, uh, for most decisions, the statute only requires a two-thirds majority, which is defined as a two-thirds in the statute as a two-thirds majority of the representatives casting a vote and the majority of the representatives entitled to sit on the Committee of Ministers. This rule, in fact, is intended to avoid a decision by two to one <laughs> with uh, 45 abstentions or uh, 44 abstentions. The, the idea is that at least half of the members of the Committee of Ministers uh, must vote in favor of a certain decision. And at the same time, those voting for and against uh, the positive votes must make up two thirds. 
This means that in practice there, is, uh, there can be different uh, majorities uh, required depending on how many countries abstain. In pr uh, as I said, the statute uh, has as a general rule, there are exceptions, but the general rule are, is this qualified two-third majority. However, in practice, the Committee of Ministers seeks to decide by consensus. And it's in fact relatively rare that decisions are taken by a vote. The, um, the second uh, organ of the Council of Europe, the Parliamentary Assembly, is the deliberative organ. It's, it, uh, it often acts as a political engine, discussing and making recommendations to the Committee of Ministers on any matter within the competence of the organization. In fact, it is at the origin of many of the almost 200 uh, Council of Europe treaties. The, it is composed of national delegations and uh, they, are, they vary in numbers according to the size of member states. You have 18 members for the major countries uh, by population like France, Germany, Italy, the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom and Turkey. It goes down to two for the smallest ones like Andorra, Liechtenstein or Monaco or San Marino. In 2018, the Parliamentary Assembly counted 324 representatives and the same number of substitutes. It has its own system of political groups, socialists, Christian Democrats, liberals, Democrats, unified left, and uh, which also more or less corresponds to the groups in the European Parliament. The representatives are elected by the parliaments of member states and national delegations are supposed to reflect in miniature the political spectrum of each member state because they must include members of the different political parties also roughly in proportion to the strengths of the parties in the national parliament. A composition must also be gender balanced and uh, the uh, there is a procedure whereby the um, Parliamentary Assembly has also introduced over the years a procedure whereby participation and voting rights may be suspended when a delegation's composition does not meet these requirements or also on substantial grounds when a country in question does not comply with the basic conditions for membership, respect for democracy, human rights and the rule of law. These provisions have given the Assembly a tool to effectively sanction the behavior of governments even in cases where the Committee of Ministers is not willing to take action. For example, between 1981 and 1984 the credentials of the Turkish delegation were not recognized following the coup d'etat in the country or between April 2000 and January 2001 and again in 2014 the voting rights of the Russian delegation, the Russian Federation's delegation were suspended um, in the Parliamentary Assembly only. The Committee of Ministers did not take action at this uh, moment in these cases. The uh, Council of Europe's political action manifests itself in also in very important public debates in the Assembly, which itself considers itself to be the democratic conscience of Europe. 
So you have had uh, major debates over the decades about, uh, for example, parliamentary democracy, Europe's responsibility in the world, relations with Eastern European countries, the situation in the Middle East was debated on several occasions, often in the presence of uh, heads of states or government of the member states. Also the Pope uh, addressed the, the, the parliamentary assembly. The, um, the third uh, very important institution of the Council of Europe is the European Court of Human Rights. Um, I will not deal with this institution very much in detail because it is subject of another lecture. I will just mention the court as such is not mentioned in the statute. Um, it is, was established under a separate convention, one of the first conventions concluded by the Council of Europe, the European Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms. From an institutional point, it's interesting to note that the court as such is part of the institutional structure of the Council of Europe and, for example, privileges and immunities of the court and the judges, as well as their condition of service, are governed by Council of Europe instruments. And the registry, the staff of the registry is part of the secretariat. The uh, fourth organ, as I already mentioned briefly, which was set up by statutory resolution, is the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities, established in 1994. And uh, this uh, Congress is composed of local and regional elected representatives. It has two chambers the Chamber of Local Authorities and the Chamber of Regions, representing over 200,000 European municipalities and regions. In 2007, the Committee of Ministers adopted a new charter of the Congress. Uh, and uh, the Congress is mainly a forum for dialogue and debate, but it also prepares legal instruments and monitors the effective implementation of the rules and principles set forth in the European Charter of Local Self-Government of 15 October 1985. A relatively young institution is the Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights. It uh, was established as a non-judicial institution to promote education in awareness of and respect for human rights. In fact, uh, the Commissioner was created by a resolution, a resolution 9950 of the Committee of Ministers. The Commissioner has become the kind of, uh, yeah, the face of the Council of Europe. Uh, he is a very, uh, he is very active in the Member States. In fact, he visits uh, the, all Member States regularly, he holds dialogue with governments. His mandate is not the, are not individual cases, but more the effective implementation of human rights on a general scale. He cooperates closely with ombudspersons and national human rights institutions. And under Protocol 14 to the ECHR, he has, he has uh, become, he has... Um, received the official right to intervene as a third party in cases pending before the European Court of Human Rights. You have also a very strong uh, involvement of 
non-governmental organization, the Council of Europe. In fact, uh, we see our work with uh, NGOs as a quadrilogue. And there is a whole series also of uh, committees and a conference of INGOs that uh, where these uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, also including also trade unions, and uh, they can also participate in the work of the Council of Europe, make recommendations, and also they are represented uh, in the various expert committees and attend also high-level conferences. In fact, the, their status was defined as initially only as consultative, but now as participatory. There are currently around 300 NGOs that enjoy participatory status with the Council of Europe. Um, the technical work, for example, the drafting of new conventions, the revision of existing ones, the preparation of recommendations, guidelines, declarations, is carried out by committees set up by the Committee of Ministers. And this intergovernmental work has been always the backbone of the Council of Europe. It uh, is also complemented by conferences of of uh, specialized ministers, for example, ministers of justice, ministers of education or culture, hold regularly conferences. You have also, what I mentioned briefly before, this, uh, the partial agreements which are created, which was in fact uh, this, uh, the first partial agreement was uh, created in uh, 1956 with the Council of Europe uh, Resettlement Fund, now the Development Bank. And in fact, this uh, example shows, it's a very good example to show the why were the need for this such an instrument. There was a need here where certain states who wanted to create an international financial instrument, but not all member states were prepared in particular also to contribute financially to the setting up of such a bank or financial fund. So what happened, the Committee of Ministers allowed a certain number of member states to create this new body uh, under the form of a partial agreement, still within the framework of the Council of Europe, but with a certain autonomy, in particular in budgetary matters. And uh, the, as I say, the bank has still exists today and nowadays you have uh, more than 10 partial agreements and some of them have become very important, like for example the Venice Commission or this film production fund or Image. Or you have also the agreement establishing the Group of States Against Corruption, the Greco. All the various organs and bodies of the Council of Europe are served by a secretariat. Uh, whose composition respects the principles of independence and equitable geographical distribution. The Secretary-General, the Deputy Secretary-General, the Secretary-General of the Parliamentary Assembly and the Human Rights Commissioner are all elected by the, by, um, the Parliamentary Assembly and um, other uh, staff members are appointed by the Secretary-General. And uh, disputes between staff members and the Secretary-General are adjudicated upon by an administrative tribunal, which uh, in 1994 replaced the formerly existing appeals board.
I will now come, I will only mention a few there to the main achievements and activities of the Council of Europe. Here I can only give an overview. Um, the Council of Europe is probably nowadays best known for its work for the protection of human rights, which is based on the central convention, the European Convention on Human Rights and its protocols. These uh, convention sets out inalienable rights and freedoms, which are nowadays also applicable and practically directly applicable in practically all member states. But over, I will not deal, as this is also part of another lecture in detail with the ECHR, but just to note that over the years the human rights protection has also been complemented by other instruments. We have the Social Charter from 1961, protecting fundamental social rights, and, and um, the Convention for the Protection of, of Individuals with regard to the automatic processing of personal data. A uh, very important convention on data protection, which is still, until today, the only legally binding international instrument existing worldwide in the field of privacy protection and data protection. It is currently being revised. And also a convention open for non-member states and, in fact, has particularly recently attracted accessions uh, from many countries, from in particular Latin America and Africa. You have, again, in this human rights area, the European Convention for the Prevention of Torture and Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment from 1987. And this convention sets up probably one of the most uh, successful monitoring bodies of the Council of Europe, the European Committee for the Prevention of Torture, the CPT, which regularly visits uh, places of detention in all member states. In the field of minority protection, you have two main instruments, the Framework Convention for the Protection of National Instruments and the Language Charter, the European Charter for Regional or Minority Languages. Both uh, instruments have a, do not only define general rules and, or principles, in this field, but also a monitoring mechanism involving country visits and country-specific opinions. And the area then, still in the field of human rights, we have the Convention on Human Rights and Biomedicine from 1997, and uh, which has also been complemented by various protocols, the Oviedo Convention. Another independent human rights mechanism is the European Commission Against Racism and Intolerance, ECRI, which was established by the first summit of heads of state and government in Vienna. ECRI's task is to combat racism, xenophobia, antisemitism, and intolerance from the perspective of the protection of human rights. It also monitors the situation in all member states and adopts general policy recommendations. What is interesting to note that, uh, in fact, uh, there is also an increasing interaction between the court under the Convention of Human Rights and the monitoring mechanisms in the sense that the court uses often conclusions and recommendations from these independent human rights mechanisms. And through their integration into the case law of the court, 
some of these uh, conclusions and uh, standards established by the monitoring mechanisms acquire even legally binding force. This approach, which is consistent with the idea of the Convention as a living instrument, allows the Court to develop its jurisprudence in line with commonly accepted standards. The Council of Europe is constantly seeking to strengthen and develop human rights protection through new legal and political instruments, which are adopted in the various fields of intergovernmental cooperation. A central committee in this field is the Steering Committee for Human Rights, the CDDH. Another area where the Council of Europe has contributed through various convention and standard-setting instruments, but also monitoring mechanisms, is legal cooperation. You have major conventions in the field of uh, extradition, mutual legal assistance in criminal matters, money laundering, transfer of sentenced persons, uh, cybercrime, trafficking in human beings, but also in civil law, on adoption, and uh, mutual legal assistance in civil and, and sorry, the enforcement of decisions concerning custody of children. In addition, a European Commission for the Efficiency of Justice, CEPAGE, prepares benchmarks, collects and analyzes data on the efficiency of justice in the member states and defines instruments and means of evaluation. The Council of Europe has also always been very active in the area of culture, education, heritage, youth and sport. In fact, the European Cultural Convention already concluded in 1955, provides the framework for this work. And it has even been seen traditionally, accession to this convention has been seen as the first step for member state, for membership in the, in the, in the Council. The work uh, of the Council focused on the protection of cultural heritage, promotion of European cinema, European art, and uh, as I said, also education and uh, and also education. In this area, the Council of Europe, jointly with UNESCO, concluded uh, the Convention on the Recognition of Qualifications Concerning Higher Education in the European Region. This convention, in fact, uh, is also part of the, or the Council of Europe, through this convention, also contributes to the Bologna process, which aims at establishing a European higher education area. Intergovernmental cooperation in the area of sport has produced conventions combating spectator violence. In fact, uh, this there's one convention was probably the the one that the counts that was the quickest convention to be drafted after the very tragic events in the Heisel Stadium. Within a couple of um, weeks only, the convention on spectator violence and misbehavior at sport events was concluded, opened for signature, and even entered into force in 19. 85. There is also a convention prohibiting doping, the Anti-Doping Convention from 1989, and the Council of Europe helped set up the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, and still today actively contributes to its work. The, as from 2007, the intergovernmental work in the field of sport has continued in the form of a partial agreement, EPAS. Finally, the Council of Europe's work on youth is carried out through the European Youth Centres in Strasbourg and Budapest and the European Youth Foundation.
The former are international residential training and meeting centers, while the latter finances various activities of national and international youth organizations. I, this brings me to the last part of my presentation. Um, the current role of the Council of Europe in European integration and also the challenges facing the organization today. The, today's architecture compared to 1949, today's architecture of European organizations and institutions is considerably more complex than in 1949. The Council of Europe's remit and activities are influenced by the activities of other organizations, in particular the European Union and the OSCE. And uh, cooperation with the OSCE received uh, a new impetus through a joint declaration endorsed by the Third Summit of Heads and State of Government in Warsaw 2005. It currently focuses on the fight against terrorism, the protection of the rights of persons belonging to national minorities, action to combat human trafficking, and the promotion of tolerance and non-discrimination. Compared to the OSCE, which relies on diplomatic means and a large field operations, the Council of Europe distinguishes itself through its acquis of legal norms and monitoring activities. The relationship with the European Union has been intensified over the years. Both organizations, in fact, share the symbols, share also the hymn, <laughs> the Ode um, à la joie. And uh, in fact, both seek to achieve greater unity between the states through, through respect for shared values of pluralist democracy, the rule of law and human rights. Numerous Council of Europe conventions are part of the EU's acquis, on the basis of which cooperation within the EU has been developed. The Council of Europe has been and continues to be instrumental in preparing applicant countries for EU accession, in particular through its assistance in the field of institution building, human rights and justice. Um, the uh, Party cooperation with the European Union has continuously been intensified and uh, the, nowadays in 2007 a memorandum of understanding was concluded with the European Union. This memorandum of understanding acknowledges that the Council of Europe will remain the benchmark for human rights, the rule of law and democracy in Europe. It contains guidelines and practical arrangements for increased cooperation in many areas. In reality, the relationship has developed into a truly strategic partnership, but the participation of an ever-growing member, of an ever-growing number of member states of the Council of Europe within a much more closely integrated European Union has also raised challenges for the organization. Both the Council of Europe and the European Union are seeking to achieve greater unity between the states of Europe through respect for the shared values and of pluralist democracy, rule of law and human rights. Numerous Council of Europe conventions are part of the EU's acquis on the basis of which closer cooperation within the EU has been developed. The uh, Cooperation has continuously intensified. 
in particular following the extension of EU competences into areas hitherto reserved to intergovernmental cooperation, like justice and home affairs. Following the 1987 arrangement between the Council of Europe and the European Community, the Council of Europe and the EU concluded in May 2007 a Memorandum of Understanding, which acknowledged explicitly that the Council of Europe will remain the benchmark for human rights, the rule of law and democracy in Europe. Participation of a steadily increasing number of Council of Europe member states in a more closely integrated EU has had important repercussions on the work of the organization, in particular in the field of standard setting. In recent years, there has been a tendency to align new Council of Europe instruments with EU legislation, for example, on data protection, money laundering or human trafficking. The, uh, the new quality of union law has may even result in the adoption of legal instruments that replace Council of Europe conventions, at least as far as relations between EU member states are concerned. For example, the Framework Convention on the European Arrest Warrant superseded Council of Europe extradition treaties. However, Council of Europe conventions and EU legislation should not be seen as two should be seen should not be seen as two alternative ways of dealing with a problem, but rather as complementary. It requires action at all levels. Um, to successfully counter threats such as trafficking in human beings, organized crime or terrorism. The Council of Europe is internationally recognized because of its expertise and its comparative weakness as a political actor provides legitimacy when it comes to formulating concrete legal standards. The procedure for the conclusion of conventions, uh, which must be negotiated, signed and ratified, is sometimes seen as rather time-consuming, complicated, and cumbersome. But Council of Europe conventions have also important comparative advantages. Multilateral treaties are better suited for the participation of countries from other parts of the world. The Budapest Convention on Cybercrime, Data Protection Convention or the Istanbul Convention on Violence Against Women provide good examples because they are open not only to members of the Council of Europe but also to non-European countries who share the same values. When dealing with a global phenomena such as cybercrime, privacy on the internet or trafficking human beings, the possibility of bringing together like-minded countries from all over the world is a valuable comparative advantage. The European Union has so far not can also as such accede to many of the Council of Europe conventions. Unfortunately, the Union has so far not fully used existing possibilities. What is most regrettable is that uh, it has not acceded to the, to the most important Council of Europe Convention, the European Convention on Human Rights. In fact, uh, following the entry into force of the Lisbon Treaty in December 2010, hopes for a rather speedy accession process were high. However, on 18 December 2014, the Court of Justice delivered Opinion 213, where it declared the draft accession agreement to be incompatible with EU law. While some of the, of the amendments required by the Court of Justice are rather technical in nature and may be acceptable, 
others concern central issues such as the need to coordinate the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights with the Convention, EU legislation in the area of justice and home affairs, or the EU's common foreign and security policy. These, uh, for the time being, the Commission has not been able to present concrete proposals on the way forward and negotiations of, in Strasbourg have not resumed. The, um, we nevertheless hope that uh, these uh, obstacles uh, that the, which the Court of Justice has found will eventually overcome thanks to the political will of all member states. In fact, the European Commission has pronounced at the highest level uh, um, in favor of accession, which the Commission also believes to be an obligation of the European Union under the Treaty of Lisbon. This brings me to my concluding remarks. Since its creation in 1949, the Council of Europe has been a force for peace, cooperation and democratic reform. It introduced the principle of parliamentary participation in the structure and work of international organizations, a precedent followed in many other international institutions. With the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the spread of democratic values throughout the continent, the organization gained a new political dimension. It has played an essential role in supporting the transition and the to and the consolidation of democracy from the mid-70s to the early 90s of the last century. Today, the Council of Europe embodies the shared commitment of more than 800 million Europeans to human rights, democracy and the rule of law. The Council of Europe has established the most effective system for the international protection of human rights known anywhere in the world. Its program of intergovernmental activities brought about a large measure of practical cooperation between the countries of democratic Europe. More than 200 Council of Europe treaties, building blocks of a common European legal space are the concrete result of this work. Over the years there has been a shift from treaty making to monitoring of compliance and cooperation. Soft law instruments such as recommendations and guidelines have gained an importance. The Council of Europe has often played a pioneering role, preparing the ground for codification at universal level, for example in areas such as the fight against corruption or the prevention of torture. At summits in 1993, 1997 and 2005, the heads of state and government have cast the organization as the guardian of human rights and democracy in Europe. Nowadays, the Council of Europe will have to demonstrate its capacity to uphold its standards and to further define its role vis-à-vis -vis the other main actors on the European continent, in particular the European Union and the OSCE. Thank you very much.